Okay, you can mute that. Who's ever, who's that Ivy? That's me. I'm trying to yeah, shut trying down to my down. emails. Oh, that's okay. That All right, so we are now live on Zoom as well. SIP 45 has officially begun, shelter in place. 45 with a very, very special edition, and I can't wait to get to our first guest this evening. Chad Angelo, who is in the house, was SIP number one. Chad Angelo, winemaker for Angelo Sellers. Diane Yetter in Chicago. Barbie Heffernan, I think, in Texas. Jan Kiefer, Chicago. Jeff and Jane Greasy. Jeff and Jane Greasy are in the house there in Barrington, Christy, so you actually probably know where that is. They have been on every single sip that we've had, even ones that were practice rehearsals, they've joined us. So uh, there's not much to do in Barrington on a Friday night except join virtual wine tastings. <laughs> Leah Dunn, some gentleman who I believe you know, Pete Coors. Pete, Peter, it's a name familiar with Pete Coors. Uh, welcome, Mr. Coors. Scotland Kiefer, also from Chicago. Jimmy Sangren from Indiana. This is going to be a fun, fun event. Uh, we are delighted. And this is a perfect example of what we talk about in the wine industry of kindness, supporters, and family. Because we first met Christy a couple of years ago, and it was an introduction through one of our charity partners who said, uh, I think you need to meet this person. And that was an unbelievable gesture of kindness to introduce Christy to us. That person then became a charity partner of ours, uh, Patriot Education Fund, and is doing amazing things with the military. Anybody that is drinking this wine, hello, Elizabeth Heffernan, uh, Janet Kowal, if I mispronounce these names, uh, talk with our production studio because I get these all in advance. Jim Brubaker from Colorado, you might know this family. Uh, little known secret, I helped finance most of their houses because I bought a lot of beer attending school at Colorado State. So uh, we'll talk royalties afterwards, Christy, of some sort of fashion. Uh, but I want to talk and show people they're drinking the Syrah. I'm going to be drinking the Syrah. And we're going to talk about the entire portfolio. But many people always are curious about a couple of different things. And it's really how on earth are these people getting the wine in advance? And then also, what do I need to do to go and order the wine after the event? And so when you look at Syrah for wine folly, that's not what I wanted to show you. This is what I wanted to show you. Uh, they order these SIP virtual tasting kits. So the SIP virtual tasting kit actually has the next several Fridays in a row that they already pre-ordered a while back. So they have four, five, six Fridays in a row, all wine sent to their house. This is the Goose Cross that we're featuring tonight, the 2016. For those of you that have never heard of Cellar Angels, my name is Martin Cody, co-founder. Uh, with me in the production studio, Mission Control is Denise Cody, also Ivy, who is the brains of the outfit from a social media standpoint. We are digital storytellers. We focus exclusively on Napa and Sonoma wines that more often than not, you can't get. And that is exactly the case this evening, because unless you are visiting this picturesque area behind me, where if you look closely in this window, you can actually see Christy waving. Uh, it's a little feat that we have some technological pull and then some pretty special features with a new app that makes that happen. Uh, but I do want to welcome Christy this evening because she's been kind enough to give us an hour of time to talk about really a magical journey that she's been on. So without much further ado, my honor and privilege to introduce Christy Kors-Fissolini. Thank you for having some time with us this evening. Thank you. Cheers. I'm excited I actually start get to start drinking. It's 5.04. So you've had me for four minutes past my cocktail hour. Oh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We know you don't start at five. <laughs> Come on, please. Well, so for those of you that don't know uh, Goose Cross, 
and, and many people, since you're hundred percent direct to consumer and you, you, it's not available in stores, not available, you know, around the country, smaller on the production side, tell people kind of where you are in the Valley and a little bit about Goose Cross. Awesome. Okay. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for being here. We really, I really appreciate it. And I know the support of Seller Angels is fantastic. And we love partnering with these guys and doing stuff with them. Um, so Goose Crest is a, a tiny little family-owned winery. Myself and my family own it. And um, I love this place. We are right in the heart of the valley. So if you look at Martin, he's sitting on the Mayakima Mountains. And um, that's what's behind me. And if you look through Martin to the mountains in the clouds, those are, those are the Vaca Hills. And they, I, I have a hard time calling these mountains because I'm from Colorado and they call them mountains here. You, but you can say Vaca Hills, it's okay. <laughs> so that's the Vaca range. Um, and Goose Crest sits right in the middle of the valley. So we're about a quarter of a mile from each side of where the hill starts going up. Um, and we're in Yachtville. So Yachtville um, is most famously known for the French Laundry. So if any of you have ever had the pleasure of dining at French Laundry, we're right down the street out in the, out in the, off the crossroads. And it's, it, the valley is at its widest part, seven miles wide. Um, at its skinniest part, which is about where we are, is about a mile and a half wide. And then it's 27 miles long. So it's not a very big valley, um, but a lot of big things come from it. So we're kind of on the southern, the northern side of the southern end of the valley. Does that make sense? <laughs> and I'll show them exactly where it is with our good friend, Google Earth. Uh, Diane Yetter, who is commenting, saying, I loved my visit there last March, right before shutdown. And Jim Brubaker has been there. Yes. Uh, so awesome. this is fantastic because it is, it's funny. And I'll show this when we get to Google Earth, because if you've been to Cliff Lady, you've probably been within a pitching wedge distance of this winery. Right. It, 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 it's not that far away. However, having 50 plus trips to the Valley, it took me quite a while to finally go and meet Christy. And it was an introduction because I've driven by your winery probably 30 times. And, and I, this is, this is the little bit of magic that I love about Goose Cross. So you purchased it in 2012? 13. 2013. And there was a winery there before that the, you know, the State Lane Vineyard had been planted and you had a vision though. So walk us through kind of what you were looking for and how you decided upon this property. Yeah, so, um, you know, I spent 15 years in the beer business prior to coming here and I dealt with distributors and retailers and going into grocery stores and liquor stores and selling my beer. And so when I was coming to Napa, I thought that's really what I wanted is was a larger winery and I can work with distributors. So we started looking for that and then I was working with some folks, Zaponi and Company, um, who are phenomenal M&A folks, if anybody's ever thinking about getting into the wine industry. They took me to this little winery called Goose Cross. And I was like, what is this? I've never heard of it. Um, and we pulled up and I was like, oh, okay, this place is not bad. Um, but it was, it needed some work. Um, and we sat out on the, in the tasting room of the old building, which is kind of off of, um, Martin's, my left shoulder, I don't know if that's really your right shoulder or if you're backwards, but that it was kind of on the, on the north side of the property. Um, and we sat there and I tasted the wines. I was like, oh my goodness, these wines are really good. And, and I was like, T teach me about this direct to consumer stuff. I didn't know anything about it. And I knew I could order wine online and all that kind of stuff, but I didn't understand how to make a full business out of it. And they explained it to me and I was fascinated. I was like, 
I don't have to deal with distributors anymore. I don't have to go into grocery stores anymore. And I love those guys. Believe me, they, they were some of my favorite times, but um, being able to- Oh, be- I, I can tell. Yeah. <laughs> well, most people know, and I think you know too, we, we owned a bricks and mortar wine store in Chicago for seven years. So we're quite familiar with working with distributors yeah. and you're right, some are fantastic people and, and they do amazing things. And those are the ones that we still call friends. Correct, correct. Yep. And there's some that aren't so amazing. Correct. Um, but being able to be one-on-one with the customer, I mean, you guys can see behind me, we still have a few folks out on the patio tasting wine. Um, yeah, those aren't extras. Those are actual customers. So it's good news that the winery is open. Thankfully, yes. that's fantastic. And actually right there is Bob Bialy. So Bialy um, Vineyards, if you ever heard of them, they're small as well, just like us. They're right down the road. They're great partners of ours. Um, so he kind of snuck in this afternoon to come do a tasting um, so I figured I'd mention him and say hi, Bob, even though I awesome. didn't get to go out and see him. Um, <laughs> but what I saw in Goose Cross was that it was a hidden gem, right? We're not off the main roads. We're not off even off one of the crossroads. You have to go onto right. a road off the crossroad before you get here. And it needed some help. It needed a facelift. And so we did a facelift on the building. So we tore down the old winery and the old house and we built this beautiful new tasting room that I'm sitting in today. We built the deck out back so folks could sit and overlook the, the vineyards as they're tasting their wines. We built a brand new winery, state-of-the-art winery for my winemaker um, who got to design it the way he wanted and put the things in it that he wanted. And it's just, it's um, been fantastic. We, what I love is that Bill talks about the wine and he said, when I got here, I knew that the wine needed a little bit of an evolution, not a revolution. So we didn't drastically change the wine style, but we changed well, the nuance. Don't say, don't say anything about Bill yet, because we've, oh. we've got some quiz questions later. But I do want to show people this patio. Yes. And this is, this is actually how most people like my interview style, uh, off camera. <laughs> Stop talking. Uh, but this is, this is a vision, Christy, that is pretty darn impressive, because when you walk in, you get to see right through. And it's almost as if, you are, you're not, but it's almost as if you're surrounded 360 degrees by glass from the way you have it set up and laid out. And you have brought the outside in, especially like when you're sitting inside, but more often than not, you want to try to taste outside and it's spectacular. Yeah. And when the sun goes down a little bit further, I'm going to open the shades and the windows so you can see right now I have to have those down so you can see my face, which you probably don't really need to see my face except mom and dad who just said that I'm looking good. So appreciate it guys. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And so you can see it, but Martin's got a great picture behind him of, of what it looks like. And, you know, when we went through the pandemic and we had to close for a while, and then when in California, we opened up outdoors only and everybody's like, Oh my goodness, I have to figure out outdoors. And I was like, not me. (laughs) Outdoors. Um, it's a little no, and it's it's funny you say that because we hear from obviously a number of wineries that have not put a lot of thought into their outdoor space, and so figuring out okay, six feet, twenty five percent capacity, what do I do, and how do I achieve this limit, and and so it was a real headache for them. This is about as picture perfect as you can get. So congratulations on that, and it is a little bit. I don't. It's not off the beaten path. I mean, you're. Well, show people where it is. You're, you're just outside of Yountville. And yes, there's the French Laundry, but there's Bouchon, Ad Hoc, uh, Bistro Gentil. There, yeah. There's quite a few good eateries there. Uh, and great spend- hotels as well. Um, yes. It's a great walking town. If anybody ever wants to 
to, to stay somewhere where you can walk and you can taste. You could rent a bike and come right out to Goose Cross. It's about a mile and a half out here um, from downtown Yountville. So. Oh, wow. That yeah. is close. That's a perfect example. A mile and a half from downtown Yountville. Other than an, a mile and a half ride to Goose Cross, I would not suggest biking and wine tasting. I don't know how people do it. <laughs> no, they, they do. They don't do it often because there's usually a wreck. Uh, <laughs> And speaking of wrecks, Jeff, very nice of you to point out my uh, flying skills. Christy, during the holidays, there, there is a flight simulator in Zoom or on Google Earth rather, that is not easy if you've never flown a plane before. And so I thought I'd take the entire audience on a trip from SFO to wine country and we crashed in San Francisco. So that's, you'll read the chat later. Jeff is kind enough to remind people that I killed everyone. Uh, but this is the tasting room that I think you need to go to when everyone starts traveling again because of its A, location, but B, magic, and, and also the wines. So let's talk a little bit about the 2016 Syrah that's in the glass. And, and I'd be curious, given your background, uh, from the distribution side of things, from understanding the retail side of things, your, your take on Syrah or your take on GSMs as a whole, because I, I know when we had the store and even sometimes to a degree for Cellar Angels, the GSM Syrahs specifically, they were a challenge to sell because people were like, give me Cab, give me Merlot, give me Pinot, you know, the big six grapes. Yet Syrah, and I'm already seeing some of the comments where people are saying, this is amazing. Walk us through Syrah, why you do a Syrah, how you discovered it, Give us a little bit of feedback on that because it's a magical, magical variety. It, it really is. You know, I feel bad for Syrah. It's kind of like the ugly duckling of wine mm -hmm. in reputation only, not in right. wine, but in reputation only. And um, it's just, it, it used to be an amazing grape and it used to sell out all over the country, all over Napa. And everybody has pulled out their Syrah vineyards and planted Cabernet because you can actually get more dollars per ton for Cabernet. Right. Makes sense why, why farmers would want to do that. Um, but Syrah is one of those, those wines that is versatile. And I think it can go anywhere. It could be made as big as a cab or it could be made light like a Pinot. And it just kind of depends how you use your barrel regimen and your um, blending process and what, what you add to it. Um, that, that to me differentiates the, the Syrah from one end of the spectrum to the other. Um, and, what and not only versatility standpoint in the glass, but we paired it this evening with Chilean sea bass and a balsamic reduction sauce, and it was incredible. Yeah. So it, it's, and from a quality to price ratio, when you look at a, a price standpoint, if you were blind tasting against Cabernet, the pricing is amazing. Yeah. And, yeah. and I like the, the ugly duckling analogy. I think you're right. Yeah. And it's, you know, I feel bad for Syrah. Like I said, I love it. I think it's a fantastic grape. Um, it's a fantastic wine that, that Bill makes for us. Um, Janie, who works in my tasting room, I was talking to her about this call and I was like, oh, what should I pair it with? And she goes, oh, I had a bottle of it last night with some barbecue lamb. And she said it was phenomenal. So it's yep. a great barbecue wine too, but I, I had never thought about Chilean sea bass with the balsamic reduction. I'm gonna have to try that. I think the sauce was the key because it was a, a nice uh, balsamic reduction. So that had that weightiness to it. 
yeah. and the, the sea bass was ridiculously thick piece. And so it had some heft to it. It's not a light flaky fish. So it, this had some oomph and it, the wine was marvelous with it. I'm looking to my left because I'm looking at the bottle, but of course no one can see the bottle. Uh, <laughs> soft camera, Martin's first time on camera. So here's the label, a uh, little beautiful picture of kind of the vineyard or, and the winery behind us, yeah. uh, but also the namesake, the goose cross. <laughs> Yes. And it, it is kind of an unusual name. It's not named after a family member, I hope, but tell us a little bit about where that came from. Um, so this is one of my favorite stories and I didn't, I didn't name the wine. Um, it was already called Goose Cross when we bought the place. Um, it was, had been a brand, it's been a brand since 1985 was their first vintage and they used to do Chardonnay because this whole vineyard was planted to Chardonnay at the beginning. Um, and so when I was asking the wine, the previous owners, I was like, where did Goose Cross come from? And they said, oh, it's, it's a fantastic story. So Pat and Ray, the former owners of their house, which was right here where I'm sitting, would sit on their back porch and have their cocktail, usually a Manhattan or a glass of wine in the evenings, and they would watch the geese fly. There's a pair of geese that live on State Lake. So our, our, the road, and I'm sure Martin will show you this, the road that you take to get to Goose Cross is called State Lane. There's a pair of geese that live on State Lane. And the story goes that the male goose hurt his wing when they were migrating south for the winter. And they were from, from Canada and they were going south for the winter to be warm. And when the male goose hurt his wing, his female partner dropped out with him, dropped out of the flock to make their home while he could heal. Geese mate for life. They're the only waterfowl that, that actually, or no, they're the only waterfowl that don't have to actually migrate. So they don't have to go south for the winter, but they, they mate for life. So the two of them made their home in State Lane and they realized, hey, you know, California is not that bad. It doesn't snow, it's not cold. We have plenty of water because we get rain. So we're just gonna stay here. Um, and their flock came back to the north when, when the winter was over and they were heading back north for the summer and they didn't go with them is the assumption, right? Because they're still here. And so the former owners would sit on their back porch every evening around sunset and they would watch the geese fly from their home, which is on the corner of our property. There's a little lake over there. And they would fly to the Napa River, which is right behind me. And they would go over there for dinner and drinks, um, get a little tipsy, and then, you know, it's a short jaunt to stumble home. And so they would watch the geese cross. And so that's why they called it Goose Cross. I love it. And if you're just tuning in, welcome to this week of Field and Stream, where we're talking waterfowl, goose. Uh, actually, welcome to Sean Manning uh, in Colorado. We have a whole Colorado contingency, Nick Schram, Martha Schram. Martha, we have a sneaking suspicion here at the company that since you placed an order for three bottles of the Syrah this evening, that you may have went into your bottle early, had it, and decided ahead of the episode that you wanted to get more. Mark Salazar, hello, sir, to you. Mark Chalinor. Uh, Leah Dunn, I may have said, Kay Jurica, good to see you in the house. Uh, Hans and Caitlin Greasy, those are uh, children of Jeff, because again, this is a family program. So everyone invites their, they're 11 and 12, uh, but I'm sure they're not drinking. I'm teasing. Uh, also in Colorado. Uh, but so I, I love the name the Goose, Goose Cross. And is there any, um, I don't know what offspring of geese are called, you know, do they have grandchildren? Goslings, well, that much I knew. Thank you. Uh, are there any goslings still around from the original pair? So I don't know the exact answer to that, but I don't think the original pair is still here. Every spring, we will see little little gosling running around, 
Um, and so I'm assuming there's been generations of them that have been here. Now there's, there's two that I see on a regular basis, but I've seen seven to 10 of them flying in a flock over to the river. Mm-hmm. Um, it was funny when we, when you guys were out here filming for our last deal with you guys, um, we're sitting on the deck. It was a beautiful sunny day. We're sitting on the deck and all of a sudden we heard the honking and I was like, gah, gah. and I'm like, oh my Wait, God. Well, how was it? How was it? <laughs> Um, and I was like, oh my God, the geese are in the vineyard. So I walked over to the vineyard and I scared them up. So they were walking through, through our vineyard and I scared them up and they took off and your, your camera guy got film of the geese flying, which was like, I, I couldn't have paid somebody. Yeah. To and do I'm that. sure, and sure James, knowing James, and he's been our camera crew for seven years, was probably going crazy with how cool that was. So, was so thank you for, for sacrificing yourself for the video. There's a lot of love that goes into those videos. Oh yeah. The, um, the Syrah, I love. There's a couple of folks that are talking about the Syrah. And I also know that, as I'm mentioning and looking at all these people, there is a Chicago contingent that's on. And on Chicago, I apologize because I understand it's not going to be above freezing tomorrow, uh, much of like one third of the country. So I'm glad you're all hunkered down with a great bottle of wine. But Christy, you have a couple of Chicago stints in your past. So uh, what? Tell us about, you know, where you lived and why and what years we're talking about. Yeah. So my husband grew up in um, Grand Rapids, Michigan. So for those of you in Chicago, it's just around the around the lake. And um, we met when we were living in California. We were living in Modesto, California, working for Gallo. And um, we stayed out here for a while and he wanted a little bit of change. And I had an opportunity to take a job um, with Coors out in the Midwest. So we decided we were young, no kids. We decided, hey, let's go live in the city and have a wonderful time enjoying Chicago. And so our first stint there was 2005. We got married in 2003. So our first stint was 2005 to 2007. Um, and then we moved to Colorado for about four years after our son was born in, in October of 2006. And then we moved to Chicago or moved to Denver after that for about four years. And then um, I got another job opportunity out back out in Chicago. So we moved back into, into um, Hinsdale, which is just, I call it the near West suburbs. Right. Um, because it's not Naperville. It's halfway from the city to Naperville um, in between those two. So yeah. And then we were there for another two years and we left, um, we left Hinsdale to come out to Napa. And so your first stint in 2005 was, you said Bucktown? Bucktown. Yeah. Okay, I think uh, we certainly some people that know Bucktown uh, mm-hmm. on the session this evening. And uh, your father is telling us it's currently nine degrees in Denver. So, but it's a dry nine. It's a dry nine. Well, I was talking to my sister, so I'm very jealous. Um, val- happy Valentine's Day, everybody. And I'm very jealous that my whole family is getting together tomorrow to pay- play paddle tennis or pickleball, whatever, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then they're all having dinner together for Valentine's Day. And I was really jealous until she told me it was seven degrees today. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not so jealous anymore. No, no. And seriously, and tomorrow's Valentine's Day? A that Sunday. could be troubling. Sunday. Oh, Sunday. A lot of shopping time left. You have all day tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. All right. So we've discussed the Syrah. And when yes. you when you purchased the property and you purchased the original winery, they had a ton of skews. 
And I think that was pared down intelligently so. And now you've got a pretty impressive portfolio. And I want you to walk us through kind of the vision of the portfolio, where you see it today and where you want it to be. Yeah, so I think we, we have finally gotten to the place where we want to be. Um, it took a while. Um, there was a lot of inventory. We had um, a, when I purchased the property, we had a off-dry um, Chenin Blanc that I still have about 24 bottles of. If anybody's interested in a 2011 Chenin Blanc, call me. Off-dry though, that's the seller. So it's sweet. Um, <laughs> we did an orange muscat that was very sweet. Um, we did a Riesling that was also sweet. So people would be like, where should I go to taste sweet wines? And I'm like, oh, I'll go over to Goosecrest. I'm like, but we make beautiful Cabernet and Syrah and Zinfandel. Um, so we, you know, we kind of got rid of the, the sweet ones. So our white wine portfolio is simple. It's um, Sauvignon Blanc, Rosé, um, and Chardonnay. So our Rosé, we just released it today. Um, Congratulations. That's awesome. For Valentine's Day. Um, it's called Rosé for Lucy, and Lucy's my baby girl. Um, love her. And um, it's pink, you know, girl's pink, even though she doesn't wear pink anymore. But she did when we named it after her. Um, and our red portfolio, from, so from our estate is really the wines that I like to focus on. Um, okay. We make a Cabernet, a Merlot, and a Cab Franc. So any of you Cab Franc fans out there, we make a phenomenal Cab Franc. Um, we also make a wine we call Holly's Block. So Holly's block is the block of the vineyard that's right behind me. Um, it's our best block of land. It's about a little under a half acre of land. Um, and just fun fact, uh, that's what's in Peter's glass tonight. And his gracious kindness and generosity is uh, unmatched because he says it's so good, he would like to send a bottle to everyone on the call. So that, that is impressive. Thank you, Peter. Uh, so this is Holly's block. And who's Holly's block named after? So Holly is named after my grandmother. So my dad's mom. Um, she was a beautiful woman, um, very well manicured, very well put together, brilliant, um, sweet, kind. Um, she was an ambassador for, with President Reagan. She started wow. charities around the world. I mean, she just, she was an amazing woman. And we figured we'd name this amazing wine after an amazing woman. No, that is outstanding. That does sound like a great portfolio. And I like that you're at a comfort level here with enough skews to please anybody that's walking in. So when it gets warmer, you've got some great white wines. You've got obviously a red wine program that is uh, really second to none from that standpoint. The, um, the Sea Elizabeth. Talk to me about that one. Yeah, so Sea Elizabeth is a separate project that my husband and I are doing on the side. So it's, okay. uh, it's you know, not only do I have a full-time job here at Goosecross and a full-time job managing my two slash three children, if you include my husband, um, but <laughs> we, we decided we weren't busy enough, so we threw in this extra project. So my husband uh, really manages that. You have that. to love entrepreneurs. Let's just throw one more thing on the plate. Another one. And let's buy a building and let's do this and let's rent this and... Uh, We've got too many balls in the air. Um, so he's really managing that pro project. Um, and it's something, I'm C. Elizabeth. Um, my mom, who is also on the call, her middle name's Elizabeth. My grandmother was Elizabeth. And now my daughter, Lucy, her first name's Elizabeth. And so um, this wine is a big kind of kicky in the teeth Cabernet, um, for, for, named after a bunch of big kicky in the teeth women. <laughs> I, I mean, that's, I love that story because 
you know better than anybody, uh, women in the adult beverage business is a tough ceiling to crack. Women in wine is, I think, the next level up of ceilings to crack. And so to to pay homage to a bunch of tough, you know, go get them, grit, persistence women, I think is a, is a magical thing. So congratulations on that. Thanks. We talked about the winemaker Bill a little bit earlier, yes. but I, I'd be curious. I don't know the story on how you landed Bill. I got really lucky. <laughs> it, it, so, yeah. It, 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 I, it, it was... It was a game of fate. And um, so the former owner was also the winemaker. And he was—he said he would stay on with me for a year until I found a winemaker. And so we purchased the property in April of 2013. And by the fall after harvest of 2013, we started looking for a new winemaker. And um, we interviewed probably 20 different winemakers. We tasted wine from all of these different winemakers. And I didn't fall in love with any of them. They so, were all wait, so back up. So when winemakers interview, they bring samples of stuff they've made. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's pretty awesome. Cool. So I should just yeah. keep interviewing people, even though I'm not going to hire anybody. <laughs> exactly. I see a, a theme here. I've, I've never really thought of it that way. Um, but I think you have a great new plan. Yeah. I'm well, and here's another interview thing that you can do when you're interviewing marketing people, give them the off dry Chenin Blanc, the Moscato and the reason and say, here, how would you package this? <laughs> and then just sit back and it might be a good way to get, you know, to move some of that inventory. So Bill, Bill brings samples of things he's made. Yes. And you sit back. And for those of you that don't know, why don't you tell them a little bit about Bill's background? It's slightly impressive. Slightly. So prior to coming to us, he had spent 12 years at Duckhorn. So Duckhorn Winery is just up the road from us. And he got to Duckhorn after living in New Zealand and making wine for a wine company called CJ Pask, um, who really helped him hone his skills and become the winemaker that he is today. Um, so he was at Paradox, um, which is just north of us. And then he was the winemaker for Duckhorn. And then he was the executive winemaker for all of their properties. So Duckhorn has five properties. Um, and he was the executive winemaker. And he left there in December of 2013 because he was tired of being administrative. He's like, right. I'm a winemaker, I want to make wine. And I'm I want to get back in the dirt. Yeah, I want to get my hands dirty. He's sitting in meetings and conference calls and spreadsheets. And he's like, I'm, I wasn't making wine anymore and it wasn't fun for me. So I fondly refer to him as Duck Duck Goose because he went from Paradox oh. to Duck to Goose Cross. He doesn't love it when I call him that, but he's not here. So I can say that. <laughs> I'm uh, so sending him a personal handwritten thank you note and addressing it to Duck Duck Goose. Address it to Duck Duck Goose. Everybody here will know which box to put it in. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. And so I, I had found the one guy that was pretty good and was going to be a decent fit for me. Um, and I gave him an offer and he responded to my offer saying, you know what, I thank you for the offer, but I'm really going to try for this new um, executive winemaker job that opened at Duckhorn. And I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know they were looking for a new executive winemaker. Two days later, Bill calls me and he's like, hey, I hear from one of the barrel suppliers that you're looking for a winemaker. I'm like, yeah, where were you? And he's like, oh, I was at Duckhorn. I'm like, oh, you know, ah, he I just see. started falling into place. It's a very yep. small valley. Um, and so he came in and from first moment, you know, we hit it off and um, he is one of the best business partners I think I've ever had. 
um, this morning I was, I was feeling a little grumpy and he's like, come on, Christy, let's go in the vineyard and have a bitch session. So we went out in the vineyard and we talked and I got a bunch of stuff off my chest and I came back and I'm like, oh, I feel so much better. <laughs> well, here's, here's, I think what is, uh, resonates in that story, which I think is pretty kind of special where, where Bill recognized that he was sitting in an office and like you said, pushing pencils, pushing spreadsheets, managing all of the administrative stuff. Not that it's not mandatory, but as a winemaker, that's not what you want to be doing. Yeah. And he recognized it before 20 years had disappeared. And he was at the tail end of his career realizing, God, this has been an absolute brutal grind for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And then he gets to find you and, and you have the wherewithal to be able to say, yeah, let's actually connect these dots. He wants to be uh, get back into the dirt. You, I mean, it's just very symbiotic and serendipitous about how it happens. And I think it's a testament to both of you that you're pursuing things and paths crossed and now we are the benefactors of that. So uh, I'm delighted. And actually, I, I think the chant is going up in the, uh, for Google Earth because we're talking about where you are. So let me just kind of show people exactly what we're talking about as to where this whole special vineyard property is. And I'm going to meet you while you Google Earth and I'm going to open the window behind me. Okay, perfect. So for those of you that are new, this is our favorite blue orb. And we focus on one area of the world as it relates to wine only, and that's Napa and Sonoma. So we talk a lot, interestingly enough, about dirt. And, and this is a special region of the world for wine because of its soil. And there's 10 main types of soil. The three big ones here are sandy, loam, and clay. And each of them have different attributes but there's all sorts of different sub series of soils. But Napa and Sonoma, this being Napa County right here and Sonoma County right here, uh, they have some of the most diverse soil subspecies of in the world. So every winemaker loves to make wine here. The alluvial fans, the silt, the volcanic, the um, sedimentary, igneous, it's all here. And you get so many different soil structures and types that weave them away through these hills and river valleys and floodplains that it's just a, a canvas of wonderful tapestry to be able to make wine. Uh, so this is the region Cellar Angels focuses on. This Syrah vineyard that we're tasting this wine from is located here. Now, Christy and I haven't talked about estate fruit yet because this is not estate fruit. Uh, this is typical in the valley when you have a winery the caliber of Goose Cross, you know a bunch of people and you can have partnerships and agreements with people where they farm to your specifications and actually to your standards. So this is uh, Monticello Road here, this is Vichy Road here, but this tiny little family owned vineyard block that you would know is there if you were driving by here is where they source the Syrah. So uh, it is a pretty special place. This is in North Coombsville for our AVA uh, savants out there. And we, we all know the magic of Coombsville and how many huge wineries that have tremendous press were sourcing fruit from Coombsville and not telling anybody for years till Coombsville finally had had enough and said, we're gonna be our own AVA. So now let's take a look at where Goose Cross is from a standpoint of relation to the Syrah vineyard. So as Christine mentioned, uh, just right outside of Yountville. So as you move up Valley from downtown Napa through Okno, Yountville, Rutherford, St. Helena, you go a little further up, you'd see Calistoga, but you get an opportunity here to see that this is kind of in the foothills of Coombsville, 
but Goose Cross is a little bit right between the mountain or the hill ranges, because it's not, not really mountains at all uh, here, but this is where Goose Cross is. So we'll go take a look a little bit closer. As you can see almost right through the topography, it's on the valley floor, but here's the Napa River that you referenced earlier. So you have, if you can imagine, hundreds of thousands of years of this flooding and moving sediment and shells and rocks and stuff into this soil. And then that compacting down and then changing every single, you know, eon, if you will. It's just a really, really rich, fertile area to grow wine. And then the beautiful, beautiful tasting room, I'm just going to call it paradise. Right here. Awesome. So that was what Christy built from the ground up in 2015 that it opened. And this is the beautiful patio behind me that I'm showing you. And it really is, I think you probably ultimately have to leave at some point in time, but you won't want to. No, sometimes we kick you out. Sometimes um, they do kick you out. <laughs> Martin, can you go back to the, the Goose Cross 2 photo or Google Earth? I wanted to point out a few little things that make Goose Cross kind of what it is. Okay. So um, you see the tree line kind of on the bottom of your screen. That's the Napa River like, like uh, Martin was talking about. Just below that in that vineyard right there, yes, where the hand is, that is where we get our Sauvignon Blanc grapes from. So okay. we, we pick our Sauvignon Blanc grapes right from across the river. It's a fantastic, again, family owned vineyard. I know the, 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 the grape growers and they're phenomenal. Um, and then if you look up in the top left corner, you see the little lake that says Rector, Rector Dam. I think that says Rector Dam. I don't have my glasses on, but yes, where, where the hand was, um, that's Rector Dam and they dammed it, um, Oh, a long time ago. But that used to flow through our vineyard. So right behind me, um, it's kind of hard to see because we have cover crop growing, but that's an old creek bed from the Rector Creek. So it would come down from, um, from where the water is. It would come through the valley and down here, and then it would meet up with the Napa River just, just um, south of us. So our vineyard is technically on an old creek bed. I was gonna say you're on a floodplain creek bed yes. type of thing. Yeah. yeah. So sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your Google Earth. I are, just wanted to throw are, you, are you kidding me? I love a tour guide. <laughs> that was fantastic. So it also, I mean, it just lends credence to just how special the soils are. Yes. And so I'm interested in Bill with 12 years at Duckhorn. And when he called you and said, Yeah, I heard you're looking for a winemaker. Did he bring samples over from Duckhorn, like three palms? You're like, yeah, I've had all these. What, what have you done lately? <laughs> he brought me three palms Merlot. And we opened the bottle and tasted it. And I'm like, can we just keep drinking? The, the most phenomenal three palms Merlot is one of my favorite Merlots I've ever had, except for the one from our property, by the way, um, which I think is a little bit better. Um, but And priced a lot less than the three palms. I think three palms is up to $140 or something. So uh, it has, yes. Yeah. So, yeah, we just, we, he, he brought all duckhorn stuff. I was like, dude, bring me some of the New Zealand stuff. It's like, yeah, I'd be 12 years old. It's probably not very good anymore. No, exactly. And that actually reminded me of a question that I meant to ask people because not many people know where Bill is from. They, they know you mentioned that he has done a stint 
in New Zealand. Yes. Uh, but winemaker Bill arrived at Goose Cross in 2014 and is a native of what famous wine region? So this, if, I'm just going to go out, go out on a limb here. If there's not 100% answers, um, actually, I'm joking. Let's see. Because I want to see how many people are paying attention. Yes, please. Let's see if there's anybody else I can say thank you to. Carmen Buffington, I don't know if I saw Amy McGowan, first time here on Zoom. She was a longtime Facebooker. Um, good, good, good. All right, I'm going to give this 10 more seconds. Five, I count fast. Four, Germany, I would guess. three, two, one. All right, so I need four people in the chat section to tell me who they are that voted for Mendoza and Piedmonte. Uh, so you can, Nick Schramm, oops, he says, yes. Bill is actually from Hawke's Bay, New Zealand. Yes, he is actually from Hawke's Bay, New Zealand. And so sometimes it's very hard to understand him. When he asks me about the bottling schedule and I'm like, the what, huh? <laughs> does, does, tell me his influence on the Sav Blanc. Um, great question. He actually does not, he prefers Napa Sauv Blanc to New Zealand Sauv Blanc. Um, and so our Sauv Blanc to me is a lot more um, tropical and fruity than green apple grassy. Um, so you'll get a lot of stone fruit, um, some passion fruit from it. And so he likes to make it in the, in the Napa style instead of in the New Zealand style because um, that's his, his preference. Yes, I had a dear friend, very close friend, where I was giving him a New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc. I said, you're going to love this. 100% grapefruit. It just screams grapefruit. And he goes, I hate grapefruit. I'm like, you are not going to like this wine at all then. But yeah. So yours is more tropical fruit. And so tropical fruit is less acidic. Less acidic. But you um, still have the brightness. Correct. Right. So you get a lot. To me, um, when you have a more acidic wine that has the has the green apple acid or the grassiness to it um, you lose a lot of the fruit because the acid is overpowering and so what I love is that ours is a little bit lower acid and when I talk about acid it's acid fruit acid not pH acid um, because pH acid is good for for wine um, it's less orange lemon you know that right Kind of that citric. And so when you are sitting with Bill and designing kind of the portfolio and, and doing the blending and, and picking the wines, how much influence, I mean, there's gotta be a great dynamic there. There has to be a great play. And I, I love the laughing already because I know there's story after story after story. Uh, so normally these stories go like this where the winemaker says, I want to go this way. The owner says, well, we're going this way type of thing, or I want this. So how do you balance that? Tell me about these stories. It's actually really, and I'm laughing for a reason because it happens every time we do blend tastings. So Bill will come in with 60 different variations of our Cabernet that we could make. And we taste through all 60 of them. And usually um, we spit. So you, you don't come out drunk, but you come out with a purple mouth. Um, and we taste through 60 wines and we rank them. We do it in sets of four. So we rank them A through D, one through four. And sometimes Bill and I are totally opposite. 
And there's very often when I'll pick one and he'll pick a different one and he'll say, no, Christy, you're wrong. <laughs> and then you say, hey, Bill, would you like to go out in the vineyard and have a bitch session? <laughs> About you. Um, <laughs> and there's, you know, so then we ultimately land on one, whether I'm right or not. Um, we really talk through why I like what I like and why he likes what he likes. He's very technical about his tastings. And when we're doing these blend trials, he's very technical and I like the acidity and I like this and I like that. I'm more about the flavor and the ability for the consumers to enjoy it. Um, so that's why we kind of meet in the middle really well. But actually, I don't really know what he's putting in the final blend, right? Because we taste about six weeks prior to bottling and then we'll filter it and get it, put it in the bottle. And by the time it's in the bottle, I don't have a chance to change it. So he could just say, you know what, forget it. I'm choosing my blend, not Christie's. But he does. Or like you agree that it's, that's your blend and then you go home and he's like erasing things and no, we're not, we're not gonna do that. So, so Jeff, Jeff has a question that uh, is actually kind of linked to a question I'm gonna ask you via the poll. Uh, so he says, Christy, you can go into your cellar and pick any bottle of Goose Cross from any year and any varietal. What do you open to drink? Now, don't answer that yet because we're gonna guess. Uh, we're going to guess another, because it's kind of polling question number two. And so, and I'm gonna omit vintage because if you had just one bottle to choose from your own portfolio, it would be, and I'm admitting vintage because that can throw things off. You know, 12 was an amazing vintage. So you could be partial to 12, even though it might not be your favorite. Um, but, but so admitting vintage, you know, you, you're going to, you're running out the door, dinner's waiting at home. You're grabbing a bottle. Not that this ever happens. And uh, what do you grab and why? So I'm going to give this, what is Christie's favorite wine? This is like your, your desert island wine. We did, thank you. We had the Jeopardy music, but it was too expensive. So now we just ask people to hum. <laughs> so you just, now you don't have to pay me. So you just get me to do it. It is. So we're going to give this uh, five more seconds. Four, three, two, one. All right. So now, interestingly enough, I'm, I'm surprised uh, of that answer, but uh, Cab Sav, Goose Cross Sav Blanc, we talked about, you talked about the Rosé, Syrah, or I even gave people an out, you're torn. You don't know which one to pick is the last answer. Well, the politically correct part of me would say I'm torn because I love all of my wines. Um, oh, good answers. Um, if I want, if I want a white wine, it's it's definitely the Sauv Blanc. That is my go-to. I love our Sauvignon Blanc. But if I were to pull any bottle out of my cellar, it's the State Lane Cap Blanc, hands down, number one. I am obsessed with that wine. Um, we sell out of it every year by June. We release it in March, and we sell out by June. Um, the 16 that we just finished last June, um, I didn't even get a bottle to take home. It's gone. Um, we do have some in the library. So when we release the library, I'll be able to get some, but yeah, the cab. And, and just for, for folks, remember that it is a working winery. They are open. So you will hear people talking in the background, enjoying yeah. wine. So they they're, ch they're checking out. They're, they're buying some. What are you guys buying over there? I see. That comes to the they're, they're, they're not even listening to me. They're pretending I'm not even here. 
So, so, hand, so hands down, it's the Cabernet Franc. Hands down. Now, were you a Cab Franc lover prior to Goose Cross? No, I don't think I had ever tried a Cab Franc prior to Goose Cross. I don't remember one. Wow. Yes. Um, and, and Cab Franc, it's interesting. We talked about the ugly duckling earlier with Syrah. Cab Franc's kind of another one. It, it, it doesn't have that same cachet commercially. Yeah. However, enophiles and wine vans, when they can find a great Cab Franc, hands down, it blows people away. Yeah. You know, um, Cab Franc for a long time was known as a blending grape, right? So people would, would use it to blend with Cabernet because Cabernet sometimes, if you think of your tongue as the donut um, or as the circle, there's a hole in the middle. And Cabernet often leaves out the middle part of your palate, um, like the donut. And the Cab Franc does a great job of filling that donut hole. So that's why Cab Franc has always been a good blending grape. Um, Jason, just a little bit. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to corral the truths over there. Um, Cab Franc is a really hard grape to turn into a single varietal. Um, it's a very finicky grape right around harvest time. So I was asking Bill about it. I was like, why is some Cab Franc so good and some Cab Franc so bad? Well, if you pick Cab Franc too early, um, the pyrazine, so that's the bell pepper that you taste in Cab Franc, will come out really strong. If you pick it too late and there's too much sugar, it'll taste like stewed bell peppers, which I think is even worse than the regular bell peppers. Right. If you're um, going to find something worse than bell pepper, it's stewed bell peppers. Bell peppers. Um, and it's just, it's it's a factor of Cab Franc. Cab Franc has those pyrazines in it. And so um, when I was talking to Bill about our Cab Franc, I was like, well, how is ours good? And I've tasted so many because after I got here, I was like, oh my God, I love Cab Franc. And I've tasted hundreds of them now. Um, I order it every time I can find it on the on the tasting menu. And um, he said, I have, when, when our Cap Franc's getting close to being ready to be picked, I have our vineyard team on standby. So he'll call and he'll say, we are going to pick the Cap Franc sometime between Friday and Wednesday of next week. And I need you guys, when I pick up the phone, you're coming the next morning or you're coming later that afternoon. So it's, it's a balancing act. So he'll both test, taste it for sugars as well as acidity, um, making sure that the pit is, um, the, the little seeds in the, in the grapes right. are, are ready. And um, he will taste it every day, sometimes two or three times a day and he'll sample it. And then he'll be like, come tomorrow morning. And he picks it that, time, that morning. Wow, so, so the window for harvest is that narrow? In his opinion, yes. And to me, it works. So I let him do it. No, and it's, I, I love Cab Franc, but you're right. You can taste hundreds and 99 of them will have way too much green bell pepper and, and it's off-putting and you almost have to force yourself to taste the hundredth because you've had 99 bad experiences and yeah. you have to dig within and say, okay, I guess I have to try another Cab Franc. But then when you find one, uh, it usually has a fantastic price point and it just over delivers. So I'm so glad that you guys produced the Cab Franc. Yeah, thank you. And we're releasing our 2017 Cab Franc in um, March, kind of mid-March. So keep your eyes out for it. You got it. We make about a hundred cases. Yeah, and that's not a lot. Um, the, the decision to buy a winery. Yeah. 
again, one of those things where I'm sure you had a couple other things on your plate. And it's like, hey, let's buy a winery. Uh, I, I mean, you, you're obviously familiar with Napa from going out there a couple of times and, and falling in love with it. You worked for Gallo very, very early on. How, how did you decide to, to, to leave the, the, the beer business and decide to buy a winery and get into the wine business? Um, stupidity. <laughs> And that concludes this episode of Entrepreneurialism. Uh, I bet my mom is laughing at me too right now. Um, you know, the, the big joke of how do you make a small fortune in the wine industry? Start with a large one. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I had this passion for wine. Um, my, my job at Gallo was, um, you know, Gallo at the time, this is the early, late 2000, late 99s, early 2000, um, when I worked at Gallo. And they did a lot of wine sensory stuff. Um, I left Gallo to go to business school in Denver, but I had my love who stayed at Gallo. And when, when I graduated and he was done with Gallo, we moved into Napa and lived here. We tasted some beautiful wines. And we knew what we were doing because of the education that Gallo had given us. Um, so when we lived in Napa, he was working at Behringer and I was working for Coors and we fell in love with it. We fell in love with wine. We fell in love with the industry. We fell in love with the community that's here. And we had a dream that one day we wanted to be back here, but we knew careers were going to take us elsewhere. Sure. Um, so, you know, my family started this little investment group and they wanted to give my generation, which is the fifth generation Coors family members, the experience to run their own business because the businesses that we currently own are large and um, hard, to, hard to get the experience you need to be actually running a, running a business in a full P&L and responsibility for the banks and everything. So when they asked me, when they tapped me on the shoulder and said it was my turn, I said, I wanna do a winery. And they said, you're stupid, um, but they let me do it. So that's kind of how I ended up here. It's, it's been a passion of mine since 2000. And in 2013, we, we made it a reality. Now, and, and I'm thrilled that you did and had the courage. I'm sure that comes obviously from the lineage of, like you said, five generations of courageous women and, and being in an industry, but you pursued it. Uh, this, this property behind me is about as majestic as it gets. And I would imagine there's some days where you kick yourself for having made this decision. And there's other days where you pinch yourself and can't believe that you've actually done this. Yes. Or twice a day, this might happen. You know what? I think every day is a little bit different, right? So there's some days that I'm pinching myself and kicking myself on the same day. Um, what I have loved about being here is that every day is a new experience and every day is a learning. Um, we were bottling today and we were bottling our Branta, which is a red blend. So if you speak Latin, please forgive me if I totally mess this up, but Branta is Latin for black goose. So it's our red blend that kind of looks black in the, in the bottle. Um, and the labels wouldn't go on. And, you know, you pull up, a, they pull up a bottling truck and it bottles, it pulls up, they pop the sides out and they run the wine through. Labels wouldn't go on. And I'm kicking myself. I'm like, why did I do a white label? And why is the white label so big? And why have, does, has it worked in years past and not now? But it was a learning experience. I'm sitting there with the bottle, the truck operator, and, you know, he's tinkering with things and playing with things. And it was, it was amazing. So although I was kicking myself about this issue that we were having, I learned a ton um, and then afterwards, Bill and I were laughing about it and we're like, okay, well, next year we get to make a black label for the, 
for the black <laughs> instead of a white lady. So, you know, it's, it's fun. Every day is something different. Well, it's, that is a good point. Every day is something different. And I was just going to ask you, are you still having fun? Does it still feel like a dream? Every day, every day. I love it. I love what we do every day. There's some days when I'm, you know, putting together my five-year business plan for the, for the family, or I'm dealing with employees that are having issues um, that for a moment I struggle, but when I am struggling, when I'm having a bad day, I get to go walk in the vineyard and I clear my head and it's so peaceful and it's so relaxing and it just brings me back to center. Um, and then I come back and I'm, I'm having a good time again. So yeah, every day, I love what I do. Now, and it, and it shows, and uh, Chad Angelo, fellow winemaker, talks about the Syrah and Cab Franc from this winery is awesome. Uh, everyone I know is really, really enjoying the Syrah. Uh, we are eternally grateful for the graciousness of your time this evening and, and certainly having some laughs and some, some great wine with us. Uh, the family is impressive, and I can't wait to see what the children do. I know they're a little young to be, you know, putting together their five-year plans, but I'm sure it's on the horizon. Um, <laughs> but I think it's it's just another testament to, you know, the customers that we have on. We actually really don't call them customers. We call them supporters yes. because they're, they've been in this tent a long time, and they want to see and meet folks like you, and we give them that access. Uh, and tonight you made it all happen. The weather worked out perfectly. Uh, we can't thank you enough. So uh, cheers to you. And I'm almost done. And just based upon what you said, I would go down in the library and grab six or more bottles of the Cab Franc and just put those in the trunk of your car and take those home because they're going to be gone. Yes, so, I know. They're hiding. I've, I've hidden some this, for the 17th. There you go. Exactly. There's some couple of false wall boards that have some wine behind them and things like that. I've learned my lesson after I didn't get any of the 15 or 16. I've learned my lesson and I, I take mine early. <laughs> I, I don't blame you. Uh, well, Christy, thank you so much. I just want to remind everybody that on the 26th, you're going to be looking for a different style sip. We're going to be doing a little bit educational series, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Next week, we have Knightsbridge from the Knights Valley. Uh, crafters of ultra premium Chardonnay and Cabernet Sauvignon. We're going to be tasting your Chardonnay. Uh, but as we started this episode, we can't thank the kindness of people, everybody that has been kind, the Cellar Angels, the supporters that buy the wine, and also the introduction that Mark Slaby made from Patriot Education Fund to Christie and what they do for military families uh, will bring a tear to your eye. So this tent is big. We would love to have more people inside the Cellar Angels tent. Tell your friends, be good to one another, stay safe, stay warm. Christy, thank you so much. Have a wonderful weekend and we'll talk soon. Everybody. Cheers, everyone. Be good. Bye-bye.